Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being in your presence here this morning. We invite you to come and fill this place, to fill our living rooms or wherever we're watching online. We ask you for the fellowship of your Holy Spirit to reveal to us your word and to give us new, fresh life. All glory be to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Lenny. I'm uh, from Germany originally, and I moved here with my wife, my family in January to um, help Grace Anglican plant a church. And uh, it's been a bit different than expected so far, but we're still making progress. And um, by the way, I would like to invite you all to come and join us after this at 10.15 a.m. in the fellowship hall. My wife and I are going to share a little bit of an update of what's been happening and what is going to happen with the church plant. And you can join us live over there or you can um, watch via Facebook. We're going to post the stream. Wow, it's been really an interesting um, year so far, hasn't it? And um, I think of all the things you could be preaching about, I got one that seems to be fairly easy. Worry and anxiety, which I'm sure many of you have experienced in one form or another over the last uh, eight months or so. I certainly have. And some of you maybe have actually worried about what should I eat, what should I drink, what should I wear, like um, in today's um, passage we read about. Some of you maybe worried more about job security. Am I going to keep my job? Maybe some of you have actually lost your job and you're wondering, how can I find employment during these times? Or maybe some of us, some of you are worried about your health. I mean, there's a virus out there and we see each other with masks and the, the li life has changed and there's this constant worry in the air of what if I get the virus? What if somebody I love gets the, vi the, the virus? And then add to that the political tension and the racial tension and everything else that's going on in this country. And if you look at the next four to five months, you might be wondering, oh my goodness. I had a moment like that a few weeks ago where all of these things just kind of came together and I've, I really worried. I felt kind of anxious about the next five months or so, and, and something in me wished we were already in January or February, and I could look backwards and see how everything kind of turned out. On a personal level, we're about to have another baby in a few weeks, uh, mid-September, our second boy is due. In addition to that, we're wanting to start with our church plan and, and uh, start weekly gatherings in September, October as well. And then we're going to move into St. John's County, so we're looking for a house. So there's another big move coming up. It's the fifth move in six years for my wife and I. And this is just on a personal level. If you add to that everything else I just mentioned, I just felt a bit overwhelmed a few weeks ago. And I want to share with you a few principles this morning based on the text we just read that have helped me, that, has, that have helped me see again what's happening and that had really given me more peace now, before I jump in there, I want to share with you an interesting definition of this word anxiety and worry that Jesus is using in today's passage. The word he uses is actually something that indicates something that divides, something that separates and distracts us. That's the original meaning of that word worry. It's like look, trying to look in two different directions at the same time. And you, you, you don't really know where to look, and it confuses you, it, it distracts you, and you, lo you lose your purpose, you, you, you lose your single focusedness, your single-mindedness, it creates a double vision in you, 
And so based on this definition of, of worry, I want to share with you two principles, two keys. And they're called perspective and priority. Easy to remember, two Ps, perspective and priority. I want to share with you first about perspective. And I'm going to quote again the, um, the verse, um, the opening verse of today's reading. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Jesus is basically saying here, God gave you the bigger. Why would you want to worry about the lesser? God is the one who gave you your body, and there's nothing comparable to the way the human body is made. Scientists say that our brains are the most complex things in the entire universe, and it's just given to us by grace, sovereignly, by God. He created our bodies, and so Jesus is arguing, why should we worry for what we put into our body in terms of food when, when we didn't even give ourselves the body in the first place? He's inviting us to zoom out and to just look at the big picture of life and realize that we, that it's, it's really not worth it to get too hung up and too worried about the details of life and about food and clothes because Jesus says, look at the grass, look at the flowers, look at the birds. None of them worry about anything and your Father in heaven takes care of them. And that seems easy. It's easy to have this per perspective, but it seems difficult if we are actually facing worries in our lives. And so something that has helped me to come back to this perspective that Jesus is talking about. It's a very simple practice that all of us are familiar with, that, but that can be so difficult to implement in difficult times and in worry, worrying times. It's the practice of thankfulness, gratitude. It is so easy in difficult times to start your prayers with, please God, not with, thank you God. One of my most favorite examples is Jesus himself in Luke chapter 9. Many of you are familiar with the story of Jesus multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish for a multitude of 5,000 people. And if you read it, if you read the story in verse 16, it says, Taking the five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Jesus did not pray, O Father, See, 5,000 people, and there's not enough food. Please, please, Father. No, he didn't even say that. He thanked. He thanked God for what he already had. And it must have seemed a little bit silly or ridiculous if I had been one of the disciples, honestly, if I had seen Jesus say, thank you for five brood and two fish for 5,000 people, I would have thought, oh, man, where is this going? My prayer would have been, Lord, please. And then the cool thing is Jesus repeated the same miracle again with 4,000. And if you read about it, he again thanked God first for what he already had. In other words, Jesus adjusted his perspective whenever he faced a situation that had potential worry and anxiety. So thankfulness is like a door opener to the supernatural intervention and provision of God. Thankfulness conditions our hearts to see God in the midst of difficult circumstances. And um, it helps us see the goodness of God. And it is, it is that revelation of God's goodness, even in the midst of difficulty, that will ultimately increase and boost our faith. And that's what, at the end, Jesus is 
kind of gently rebuking the people here as well. He's saying, oh, you of little faith, come on, trust in your Father. Trust in God. I, I like what Pastor Bill Johnson says, one of my favorite quotes. He says, our faith only reaches as far as our revelation of God's goodness. If we're not fully convinced that God is good and that He will take care of us, it is difficult for us to trust Him. You only trust somebody who is trustworthy, somebody who is good. And one of the most dramatic moments in the Old Testament where Moses has this big encounter with Yahweh, with God, in Exodus 33, God is in, uh, Moses cries out to God and he says, Show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. And God's immediate response to that is, okay, I will have all my goodness pass before you. What a revelation of the character of God. God's glory is God's goodness. God's glory is God good, God's goodness. He is good all the time. And I believe this is what Jesus is coming after when he's talking to his disciples, saying, your heavenly Father takes care of the birds. Your heavenly Father takes care of the grass. He's your heavenly Father. He's your dad. He, he takes care of you. He's good. You are allowed to trust him. Trust in him. Maybe he will not always take care of you the way you expected, but he will take care of you. See, our worries won't go away by us trying to figure out how God is going to help us, but by trusting that He is going to help us. If you're anything like me, I like to figure out the how first. I wonder how God is going to do that. And my wondering, the more I wonder, the more I give room to worry and anxiety because I don't see how He's going to do it. But then He somehow does it because He is good. And he sees more than we do. Again, Bill Johnson says, if, if we want peace that surpasses understanding, we must give up the right to understand. We must give up the right to always figure everything out if we want that peace that surpasses our understanding. So again, Jesus is challenging us in this first part to adjust our perspective, to look at the bigger picture. And he, he basically says that thankfulness and and coming back to experiencing the goodness of God is what helps us adjust our perspective. Now, the second part of today's text has to do with priority, perspective and priorities. It is in this context about Jesus' teaching about worry and anxiety that we have one of the most popular verses in the New Testament, in fact, maybe in the entire Bible. Matthew 6, 33. Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It is interesting here, before we go into this, that Jesus is not saying, seek only the kingdom of God. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. See, the, the solution to overcoming worry is not that we enter into denial mode and act as if, None of what we face is really that big of a deal. And I'm just going to ignore it all, and I'm just going to only seek God's kingdom. I'm just going to only pray and only worship. And as good as these things are, we're not called to only do these things. We're called to first do these things. And then, as we do them, then go out into our problems, into our issues, and carry the goodness and the glory of God with us 
into them. We're not supposed to be escapists. We're supposed to be agents of transformation as we prioritize correctly. Now, what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God first? My goodness, that's an entire sermon series on its own. But I'm going to share a few things with you that can be practical and that maybe can help us deal with, with our worries and with our concerns. So first of all, seeking the kingdom first means seeking where God is at work first. Let me explain. It is a little bit similar to the key of having the right perspective I just shared a few minutes ago. It's, it basically has to do with learning to partner with what the Holy Spirit is doing in and around you, to see for signs of the kingdom of God and to focus on that and partner with that instead of giving our double vision and our attention to all the things that cause worry and anxiety in us. For example, God is currently at work in the midst of this pandemic. God is doing things. Now, if we watch CNN and Fox News all the time, maybe we won't always see it because bad news are good news for most TV stations out there. We need to be intentional and looking at, at, at where God is at work. I, I received a newspaper article the other day of a revival that is happening right now in the beaches in, in, in California, in Huntington Beach. Hundreds of people are receiving Jesus every day. They have worship gatherings on the beach, people getting baptized left and right. I want to share with you a quote by one of the leaders of this movement. She says, it really feels like you are on hev in heaven on earth. There is so much joy, so much peace. People are being set free from depression and suicidal thoughts. God is doing something really unique here with, with every single race has been baptized and every, from every generation. We have baptized five-year-old kids and 75-year-old men. I just baptized on Friday an eight-year-old named Matthew crying because of how much he loved Jesus. And then he turns around and baptizes his 16-year-old sister. God is at work. God is doing things. And I'm sure if you look closely enough, he's doing things in your life too. He's doing things in this church. My goodness, I'm so proud of all of you guys for planting two churches in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> One over there in St. John's, and we just sent out Dan Wolf into Portland, Maine. When other churches and people are thinking about withdrawing, our mindset is, let's expand. Let's join the kingdom of God. I believe this is what it means to seek the kingdom of God first. Secondly, I believe seeking the kingdom first means doing something that directly advances his kingdom. For example, good old example, our tithes and offerings. Giving financially during times of worry is spiritual warfare against mammon. I'm going to say that again. Giving financially during times of worry is spiritual warfare against mammon. What is mammon? Mammon is the god of money. Mike preached about this last week. You know, in times of worry, money is the first idol that tries to creep in and to establish itself as the one we look to for our provision and help in times of worry. Most people's worries have to do in one way or another with finances. So in order to dethrone that idol and not give it a root in our heart, it is always good to sow, to give financially. That's why I'm a big believer in tithes and offerings just for that 
in itself, not even for what you can reap and get back from it from God. No, it's, it's spiritual warfare. Or another thing that you can do to advance his kingdom, one of, one of my underlying convictions is that the kingdom of God exists in relationships. That's where it takes place, between us, the way we treat each other. So in times of worry, be active, bless relationships, encourage other people. Do something to improve and bless people through relationships. Ask for forgiveness. Be a voice of hope. All of these kind of things, as we keep on doing them, they will distract us from being too worried and too anxious. Now, lastly, a third point as I'm landing this plane. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Seeking first the kingdom means seeing first the king. To seek first is to see first. I like that three letters out of the four of the word seek are see. There's a strong connection here. Seeking means seeing. Remember the definition for the word worry? Trying to look in different directions at the same time, creating so much confusion and double vision in you that it creates double-mindedness so that you get paralyzed in fear and you don't know what to do. We need to learn to, again, have a single vision and see the king. What do I mean by that? Well, I want to take you back into my own personal example of what happened to me a few weeks ago when I had that feeling of just anxiety and worry about the next four or five months on so many different levels. I took that into prayer and I said, Lord, what, what are you saying to me now? I don't know what to say. And I heard this whisper in my heart that said to me, Lenny, I want to restore a 2020 vision to you. 2020 vision. And I thought, what does, what does that mean? 2020 vision means perfect sight, or maybe 2020 vision that everything will turn out good at the end of the year. What does it mean? And I, as I pondered on that, I felt prompted to open up the Bible in John 20, verse 20. So I did that. <laughs> and it says the following. After Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. John 20, verse 20. This is happening after Jesus rose from the dead, walked into the room where the disciples were hiding and had locked the door out of fear. Jesus walks in, says, peace be with you. And then this is what happens. He shows them his hands and feet. And when they saw that, they were overjoyed from one moment of fear, from one moment of anxiety and worry into a moment of joy. What happened? What is the key ingredient here? They saw the king. They saw the risen king. And they didn't just see Jesus in a perfect body. It was perfect, but it still had its marks and scars from the real problems and the real issues in this world. As if Jesus is saying, listen, the things you're facing out there, yes, they are real. It is legitimate to be afraid. It's not, it's not wrong if you're a bit scared. It's not wrong if you sometimes even feel worried about all the craziness that's happening out there. Again, it's not about denial. It's not about saying, ah, it's, it's just not a big deal. Who cares? No, it is real. Jesus has real marks on his body. Even his resurrection body still shows these marks of real evil and real pain and real suffering and real sin. And yet... They're part of a resurrection body. They're part of a body that has overcome all of this. They're part of a body that has absorbed all of this into itself and broken the hold of it over his people. 
What a hope. And the disciples saw that, and they were overjoyed. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, wow, this is, this is what it means to be prophetic, to see Jesus, to be able to see the king in the midst of, of darkness and worry, to see that his wounds have written coronavirus in it, have written all my sins in it, have all issues you can imagine are in the wounds of Jesus. This is our hope as Christians, that Jesus is risen from the dead, that he is our king. And by the way, 50 days later, after, after the disciples saw that, 50 days later, their church had grown from a little group of a few timid, fearful disciples to a church of 3,000. <laughs> that gives me hope for our church plant in St. John's County. <laughs> so I want to challenge you today to adjust your perspective and your priorities. I did an exercise a while ago where every night I wrote down three things I'm thankful for for six weeks. And scientists say that this actually does something to the wiring in your brain. And I did that, and I really felt a difference. I want to encourage you to do the same. Write down something you're grateful for at the end of every day. Three things you're grateful for for six weeks. It will help you adjust your perspective and identify the goodness of God in your life again more clearly. And the second thing is, Learn to see the king first. Maybe spend a little bit less time on CNN and Fox News <laughs> or other news outlets out there and look for where God is at work. Be encouraged by that and pass on that encouragement to others. Refuse to give worry a place of influence in your life to the degree that it takes your eyes off of the king. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us see Jesus. This is why you were sent to us, to make him big. And we thank you so much that here this morning we can celebrate the fact that you have carried all trouble that this world offers us. And thank you that in you we can have peace. So grant us your peace this morning and help us fix our eyes on you and to continue to be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite our musicians to come back up to their instruments and everyone in here can stand.